0: Why does God allow evil? Well, the short answer is he allows free will. Secondly, evil doesn't disprove God. It actually shows God does exist because there'd be no such thing as evil unless there was good and there'd be no such thing as good unless God existed. So evil may prove there's a devil out there, but it can't disprove God because evil itself requires good to exist and good requires God to exist.
1: Welcome back to episode 35. Today we're having Frank Turek on the episode. Um, hope you guys have fun listening to him because we already recorded it and we may have forgotten to um, get a recording of his face. So,
2: Yeah, we, we may or may not have discussed it beforehand and we told him to record and so he clicked record on the audio, but I guess none of us clicked record on the video Um Unfortunately, Spotify users, Apple Music users, uh, today's your day. Today is your day.
1: <laughs> if you guys haven't checked out the audio, now would be a good time. If you don't want to watch this, you can go listen to it while you're driving or something. Um, and, well, enjoy Frank Turk's wisdom because it's pretty awesome. So, without further ado, here's Frank Turk.
0: Good. Where are you? Uh, we're in Aspen. Aspen? Yeah. Now, that gets a round of applause <laughs> because Aspen. Aspen is a happening spot. Yes, sir. <laughs> it sure is. That's what people say anyway. I've only been to Vail. I haven't been all the way to Aspen. Oh, You got to come up. Come visit. Mm-hmm. You can be in person. That'd be awesome. No, you got to invite me to your church or your college. Then I'll be there. <laughs> that's, how it, that's how that works. I don't just like show up. And start talking, you know? <laughs> well, I did
2: invite you in person originally, but uh, Miss Mackey, she said that it'd be better over Zoom.
0: Yeah, that's right. You don't want to be too close to me. <laughs> Max, no, what Frank, do you mean?
2: Oh, uh, I'm Wolfgang.
0: I'm Jonah. And I'm Luke. Yeah, super Man, nice to you meet you. You guys got some some biblical names there. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I got left out.
3: Given straight <laughs> yeah. given straight from God himself to my mom. Uh-huh. That's good. <laughs> that's good.
1: Yeah. Um pretty excited to have you on. But um for for those of you who don't know you Frank, how would you define who you
0: are in like a very brief few sentences? You mean what I do? Yeah. Uh well, there's a term called apologist, which means doesn't say you're saying you're sorry, as you guys know, but a lot of people think, oh, apologist, this guy's apologizing for something. No. Yeah. It actually means to defend, and it means to give a reason for the hope that you have, as Peter said in his first letter. Always be ready to give a, an answer to the people that you have, give a reason for the hope that you have. In other words, give evidence that Christianity is true. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what we try and do. And there's several people that do this. It's not just me. We, we just tend to go to college campuses a lot, which not a lot of people do. Uh, so we go to college campuses and present the argument that Christianity is true from the book that I co-wrote many years ago called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. So this book right here is the book, uh, if people are watching on YouTube, this is the book we we kind of summarize and we go to a college campus, and then we take a lot of questions. And you can see everything we do on a college campus. Cause you go to our YouTube channel, uh, the entire presentations there, all the Q and A's there. And then we cut up the Q and A for short little clips. And that's what probably some of you have seen on our YouTube channel.
2: Yeah. And you started uh, an organization called cross examined. Um, that's right. Yeah. When did you start that?
0: That started about 2006, 2007, right about then mm-hmm. we, 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 we organized it in 2006. We really started speaking a lot in 2007. And uh, that was because we saw that a lot of young people were walking away from the faith once they went to college. Now they're leaving even before they go to college because they have this golden rectangle that we call an iPhone (laughs) uh, where they get a lot of misinformation from. And uh, so what we try and do is go to colleges and high schools and churches and throw them a lifeline and say, hey, consider this. This this is really what appears to be true. So we, we try and take the hardest questions we can get.
1: And I mean, when you talk about apologists, Frank Turk is, in my opinion, the top apologist. He's he's the debated best. people like Christopher Hitchens, like the top of the top arguments. Yeah, this well, is actually, amazing.
0: the top apologist still is William Lane Craig. William okay. Lane Craig has debated more people than anyone else in the past 35 or 40 years. He's I don't know. He's probably debated more than 50 people, Yeah, 50, 50 philosophers and atheists and even Muslims. So the gold standard in apologetics right now is William Lane Craig. So uh, I appreciate you guys. You know, yeah, you're my favorite. So <laughs> saying, okay, I like. Okay, fine, but William Lane Craig is really the guy. Yeah, that's He's, what I was. He, and he is a true scholar. I mean, he is he is someone that uh, writes in academic journals, which I don't do. Okay, I'm standing on his shoulders and the shoulders of people like Gary Habermas and and. Uh, And William Lane Craig and, of course, my co-author, Dr. Norman Geisler and many others. I couldn't do what I do without people like that. That's
1: awesome. So I think we just want to hear your testimony, I think, in a way, because you, you grew up in New Jersey. You went to Catholic school. Forget about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. What was kind of the uh, how did you get to apologetics and kind of yeah just the story of how cross-examined? Well, started. I
0: got to Look, I always believed in God. I knew there had to be a God because mm-hmm. I, I just knew there had to be a first cause. Right. Yeah. You just can't go on an infinite regress of causes. That seems self-evident to me. There's got to be an uncaused first cause. So mm-hmm. uh, I always believed in God. I just didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't know what, what Jesus meant. What, you know, what, why did he come? What was that all about? I I didn't know any of that. Even in Catholic school, they they just wasn't taught. Maybe it was me. Maybe I just didn't notice it was taught, but I I never really got it. Right. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't until I was out of college and I went to uh, into the Navy out of college. I had a lot of questions for uh, a friend of mine who was a, a roommate of mine when I was in the, in the navigator school in the Navy. And I just had so many questions for him. He finally said, Look, you just need to get Josh McDowell books, Evidence Demands a Verdict and More Than a Carpenter. Those were books written many decades ago. And as you know, Josh is he's still one of the, the great apologists out there. He's about 82, maybe 83. He's great. Oh, wow. Um, anyway, Josh had written those books, and I read those books and said, Wow, this is this really appears to be true. And then after I got out of the Navy uh in let's see, 1992, Uh, I met Norman Geisler, who had started this seminary here in Charlotte, and within about six months of meeting him, I moved uh, my entire family here to Charlotte to go to seminary, and that's from that point, learning apologetics, learning philosophy, theology, uh, learning uh, apologetics, learning evidence for the faith from Dr. Geisler, who, by the way, when he died two years ago, they, they, they summed up the number of books he wrote. Either he wrote himself, he wrote with other people, he updated, you know, he republished. Mm-hmm. It was 129 books. That's
1: crazy! Amazing. Wow!
0: Yeah, yeah. The guy has written more books not only than most people have read; he's written more books than most people have seen. <laughs> okay. Especially nowadays. Especially
3: nowadays, yeah.
0: That's right, because everybody gets their books now from here, right? Yeah. So, no, but anyway. Not- so I came to faith through evidence. That's why. Okay. That that's why I, I do what I do now.
1: That's kind of the sad thing I feel like in this culture is so many people have like all those questions that like most of the ones you answer, they have such good answers, but they don't even seek those answers for themselves. They just listen to what everyone else says and they go follow that and they don't actually look into it themselves. And I think once you look into it yourself like you did, you start realizing, yes, there is truth in this. And if this is true, that I should, I should live this way and change. Um, so that, that's really cool. Um,
0: yeah, the problem is I think. And this is true of all of us, not just people who are not Christians. A lot of times, we're more interested in in happiness than truth, yeah, right? And and absolutely. we think we're just going to be happy if we do our own thing. Let's even even Christians will go, ah, that's inconvenient in the Bible. I'm going to do this, yeah, right. So um, I, well, that's why I always ask people if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And many people will say no because yep. it doesn't matter how much evidence Jesus could show up and say, here I am. And they wouldn't say, oh, Lord, I'll follow you now. They'd say, I need a psychiatrist. I think <laughs> yeah. I'm having visions. There must be in some gases mind. in this room or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's sure. right. Something's wrong here. Yeah.
1: Come on. No, but um, <clears throat> should we hop into some questions, you think? Get yeah, started? Because sure. Because sure. this, this is what we're seeking for here. John, you want to read the first one?
3: <clears throat> what is the best argument you've ever heard against Christianity, and how do you argue against it?
0: Yeah, the best argument... <sighs> It's it's an emotional argument. It's not an intellectual argument, because I don't think there are good intellectual arguments against Christianity, because I think when you analyze them, they don't they don't pan out. Uh, I think the problem of evil is certainly a big argument that many people will say, well, if there is a good God, you know, why does why does he allow such evil to occur?
3: Yeah. Why did my mom die of cancer? Yeah,
0: that kind of stuff. Right. Um, People understand generally uh why evil occurs because you know we have free will in fact one time a, an atheist at the university or at, at michigan state university asked me and you know, he was real mad after the whole presentation he said if there is a good god why doesn't he stop all evil in the world and i said because if he did he might start with you <laughs> yeah i remember seeing you know? that video <laughs> and, like, and he might start Dang. with me because we do evil every day yeah. right that's a, that's whenever we complain answer. about evil we always complain about somebody else like god why don't you stop him or god why don't you stop her we don't think hey god why don't you stop me yeah because if, if God wanted to stop evil, uh he could do so immediately uh by just taking away our free will. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, uh, how many of you have seen uh, Batman versus Superman? I have. I don't think you I haven't. Know. I have, I have <laughs> has it right there? <laughs> Let me send okay, you a Okay, this copied. is this is this is a new book that isn't even out yet. It's coming out in May. It's called Hollywood Hero- Hollywood Heroes. Okay. How your favorite movies reveal God. It's up here. Okay. That's awesome. Um, and, uh, there's a scene as my son and I wrote this. He's a seminary graduate too. Oh, awesome. It's coming out in May of 2022. This is just an advanced copy. Uh, there's a point in Hollywood hero. I mean, in, in Batman versus Superman, which a lot of people hated that movie. Like why is Batman fighting Superman? Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Anyway, Lex Luthor, you guys know who Lex Luthor is yeah. Yeah. he's all mad at Superman because he's looking at Superman as a God and he's mad at God because God didn't stop his father from abusing Lex Luthor. Right. So he's mad and we get that. You know, people can be mad. Well, God, why didn't you step in? But you know what Lex Luthor isn't mad about? He's not mad about God not intervening when he does evil. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. He's not he's not mad that that God hasn't stopped Lex Luthor from kidnapping Lois Lane and trying to kill Superman and trying to kill Batman and all that. No, he's only mad when God doesn't stop other people from doing evil.
2: Yeah. that's a great. I point. think
0: that's inter- an interesting insight. Uh, Do you think, in so the old why doesn't God stop evil? Go ahead. What are you going to say,
1: Luke? Do you think in the old Testament, it kind of shows kind of that punishment in a way of like God stopping evil. And then the new Testament, we have more of that grace. So what's kind of your um, side on that?
0: Well, actually, I think the reason you see more judgment in the Old Testament is because it lasts several thousand years. Mm-hmm. The New Testament only lasts about sixty-two years. That's a good point. Okay. I haven't heard. That okay, before. so there's a lot more time to screw up when you got you know yeah. several thousand years of history. Uh, it's the Old Testament's covering a lot longer period. The New Testament's covering basically from Jesus's birth to about sixty-two A.D which is the end of the book of acts pretty much. Okay. And uh so there's a lot more time to for God to judge yeah. in the old testament than the new. Although God is revealing judgment in the new quite a bit, right? Revelation,
1: Jesus,
0: yeah. Yeah, Jesus really uh although there the old the uh afterlife is hinted at in the old testament, it's much clearer in the new, particularly eternal conscious torment, hell. Jesus brings that to light much, much more so than the old Testament does when he shows up. So it's the same God, both sides. Yeah, And I think what we forget is God judges people. And if Mm -hmm. God judges people, it's because we're doing evil.
3: And he, yeah, he gives them a lot of time too to like, to be
0: judged. And
3: then after that, he just completely decimates, like in in the time of Noah and then Sodom and Gomorrah, it's just like, they got to a point of like evil, like (laughs) evil with a capital E and like, we haven't, like we look around now as a society and we're like, oh, wow, these people are like so evil, but we haven't gotten to like that point of evil yet.
0: Well, so I mean, we, yeah, we're getting there pretty we're, quickly. We're getting, we're getting there, but,
3: and, uh, yeah. I think the, I think the end f- is coming soon, but
1: as in the days of Noah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nice.
3: or
0: even the days of Jonah, Jonah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what
2: would you say is your argument against like, uh, Calvinism and predestination? Um, more specifically. I, I,
0: I don't know if I'm predestined to have an argument against it. <laughs> Why would I have an argument against that? Well, actually, you've probably heard some of the short videos I've done on it. Mm-hmm. People think that there's an irreconcilable difference between God's sovereignty and man's free will. But I don't think there's any irreconcilable difference at, at all. I think they're totally compatible. Why? Because just because God knows what we're going to do, doesn't impl- it doesn't imply he's causing us to do it. So, for example, if a woman, a new mother puts down her baby one night uh, to sleep, she knows at some point during the night that baby's going to wake up and want to eat. But because she knows that, is she causing the baby to wake up? Yeah. No, she's not causing the baby to wake up because she knows it. Likewise, when God creates the universe, he knows what we're going to do. But that doesn't mean he's causing us to do it. He's just outside of time. He knows the end from the beginning. And when he elects to create this universe, he knows how it's going to turn out. Mm-hmm. And that way we're chosen, but we're still free. He chooses who is going to be saved, but he chooses people who are going to be saved in accord with their free choice. In fact, that's what First Peter 1 says in accord Mm -hmm. with the foreknowledge of God. Now, it's written from our perspective because technically God doesn't have foreknowledge. He just has knowledge. He just knows things Mm -hmm. intuitively, automatically. Mm -hmm. But from our perspective, it looks like God knows what we're going to do in advance, and in that sense, he does. So there is no um, contradiction between God being completely sovereign and man have free will. In fact, I think God is so sovereign that he can get his free will done all right, let me put it another way. God is so sovereign that he can get his will done through our free will.
1: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. That's really and
0: cool. I, I've unpacked this on podcasts before. I want to say I did one in August of 2018 uh, talking about Calvinism and Romans 9 and all that. Because, you know, mm-hmm. Calvinists always go to Romans 9. And I don't think that's talking about individual salvation. That's talking about the election of the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. And I explain why in that podcast. Okay, so, awesome.
1: yeah, and I don't think you talk about will link problem. in the
0: description. With that. that. Yeah. The other thing, too, is one of the problems with with in my view, one of the problems with uh, hard five point Calvinism is it makes God the author of evil, because if if God chooses everything for us, that means he chooses evil as well. Yeah. So God is doing evil. You know, why did why did uh, Satan sin? Why did Adam sin? Why did we sin? Because God chose us to sin. He wanted us to sin, apparently, because he's making all the choices. Well, that's that's ridiculous. That's that makes God more like Allah yeah rather than yahweh you know yahweh is good allah whatever he does is good according to muslim theology so i don't think god is arbitrary i think god is in essence good he gives us free will and he allows it he allows our own choices uh to go forward that's awesome
1: cool uh next question we have is if you sell your soul can you still be saved and what are your thoughts on one saved always saved what does the bible say about this
0: uh, sell your soul. What does that mean? What would, how would you unpack that? That's what do you mean example. by sell your soul?
2: So, uh, some people who are like Satanists per se, I guess, and a lot of theories go around in Hollywood, especially that uh-huh. people like sell their soul, sell their soul, basically, in order to kind of like gain either material wealth or fame or fortune or something like that. But. Uh-huh. Um and it's not I've even, heard that phrase
0: before but I didn't know it was like a real movement.
3: It's it's not even in, like just Hollywood. I think uh I think it's mainly in music as well. Um you hear like a lot mm-hmm. of rappers nowadays selling their soul and uh back in the day it was like guitarists and violinists and stuff and they they would like play like riffs and stuff that nobody has been able to replicate. Um apparently like Satan sat down on this guy's bed and like showed him like a be- like a beautiful song no one can like play it correctly anymore, but <clears throat> That's besides the point. But yeah, it's just like selling your soul to gain monetary down here. But like you've like sold your. Um, so
0: future, the devil went down to Georgia, basically. Yeah, pretty much. You like. guys are too young for that song. The, <laughs> the old Charlie Daniel song. Uh, I hadn't heard that movement. Uh, everybody is redeemable from our perspective. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's redeemable from God's perspective, because sometimes God gives people up because he knows they're never coming back. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1, that once you suppress the truth long enough, your thinking goes futile, and he ultimately gives you up to your own desires to the point that not only are you doing evil, but you're cheering other people on who are doing it as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you probably heard some Christians say, well, everybody knows there's a God. That's true initially, because it says... Uh, that his invisible qualities and divine attributes are clearly seen so that men are without excuse. However, if you suppress the truth long enough, you may get to the point where intellectually, you don't know God exists at all mm-hmm. anymore because God has given you up. He's pulled his revelation away from you.
1: Do you think that's the phrase now, in the Bible where it says like he hardens Pharaoh's heart? Is that
0: kind of the well, that's, same yeah. That, but I think the hardening of the heart, that's a whole nother thing. Let me come okay. back to the hardening of the heart in a minute. Let me, let's just finish yeah. this, but that's a good, good insight, Luke. Remind me about hardening from the heart. We're going to come back to it. All right. So once uh, saved, always saved. Yeah, once saved, always saved. I, you know, God can redeem anybody, obviously, if they're open and the Holy Spirit works on them. We don't know who those people are, but God knows who is redeemable and who isn't. Once saved, always saved. Personally, I know Christians argue over this. I think that once you get uh, justified, once you get, once you've accepted Christ, you're saved. In fact, Jesus talks about this in in a. John chapter five, where he says, he who believes has passed from death into life. In other words, when you don't, when you believe you get eternal life, you don't get eternal life when you die. You get it when you believe. And if it's eternal, can you lose it? No, that's the whole point. You can't lose it. So if you truly are a believer you get eternal life when you believe, and God seals you with his Holy Spirit. Now, we know of many people that say they were believers and they're not anymore. Obviously, the only way to deal with that would be to say, well, you've never truly tasted uh, the true Holy Spirit. You've never been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You never really accepted him. Exactly. And even to Jesus and elsewhere says, somewhere, some are going to come and say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I never knew you. Yeah, depart from right? me.
3: And that's, yeah. the verse that, that, that's the verse that scares a lot of people, but I think that's the, that's the kind of Christian that lives that lie out throughout their whole life and they never like really worry about it until like the very end and then he's like i never knew you well and the crazy thing
1: is uh, they talk about doing miracles in his name which is the most confusing yeah. part for me because like how do you do miracles through jesus without really knowing him you know that's like
0: yeah i always uh, i always tell people who are worried like when they say oh gee i don't know if i'm saved i don't know if i've ever accepted I, you know Maybe I've lost it. or I said, "If you look, if you're worried about it, you're 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 saved, right? It's the people that think they're saved and they're not, right? They think, oh, I'm earning my way to God. Well, you don't earn your way to God. That's Mm -hmm. the whole point of Christianity. You don't get your identity by what you do. You get your identity by what he did. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point, right? He does it all. You just accept it. And out of gratitude for what he's done for you, then you live a holy life. But you're not making yourself more acceptable in God's sight by following his law. You follow his law because he has died for you. And he, you know, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, but you're not earning your way to salvation. He earned the salvation. That's why he came. But this hardening of the heart thing is interesting because, first of all, in Romans, Romans nine is taking that from obviously the book of Exodus. Mm -hmm. And it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but who hardened Pharaoh's heart first? He did. Yeah, Pharaoh did, right? God completed the process. Uh, When Paul's quoting it in Romans 9, he's not talking about whether or not Pharaoh is going to heaven or hell. That's not the point. The point is that God used Pharaoh for his own purposes. And this word hardening was chosen for a reason. It shows that Moses knew the Egyptian culture, because if a Pharaoh died and was entombed, the Pharaoh then would go before a, a, a kind of judgment where his heart was put on a scale with a feather. And if the heart weighed more than the feather, then he would not be admitted into the afterlife. His heart would be...
3: Fed to a crocodile.
0: Would, yeah, yeah. It would be eaten by this wild hippopotamus crocodile beast. It <laughs> yeah. would just eat the thing, right? But if his heart was light and it weighed less than the feather, he'd be admitted to the afterlife. So when Moses says that... Uh, God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. What he's really saying is God is making his heart hard because Pharaoh's been bad. And so he's not going to make it in the afterlife. His heart's going to be too heavy. It's going to outweigh the feather. That's so amazing. he's gonna be judged. That's awesome. Right? I've never heard that before. So, so 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 this kind of language is is used purposefully, just like the plagues. You know, the plagues in 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 uh, Exodus, they're all plagues against or most of them are. They're they're actually slams against the Egyptian gods, right? They worship the Nile. Fine, we'll turn it to blood. You want frogs? <laughs> I'll give you frogs. Here they are. You worship the sun. Oh, we're gonna blot the sun out. Uh, you, you worship, yeah, you worship Pharaoh. We're going to kill the firstborn, right? Mm-hmm. These are all slams against the Egyptian gods. It's saying uh Yahweh's the true God. You, you Egyptians, you think you got got true God? No, every one of your gods, we're going to send a plague to show you that we were, that Yahweh really controls things, not you.
3: That's, That's actually awesome. a question I had um, written down that kind of ties into this, that didn't make it into the final draft, but it was like, how is it justifiable? Uh, how was it justifiable for God to kill all the, like all the firstborns? um mm-hmm. in in egypt well i
0: admit, maybe let's let's leave the firstborns in egypt out let's just ask the question is is it wrong for god to take a life
1: not necessarily because he moves it on to the
2: next and place. he's the creator of life yeah.
0: yeah yeah he's the creator of life right god god not only owns life because he created it he's the only one that can resurrect it look if Christianity's true people don't die they just change location They go from this life to the next life, and it's up to God when that happens. God can kill anybody at any point. It's not murder for him. It's murder for us because we we don't own life, number one, and we can't resurrect it, number two. God owns life, and he can resurrect it. So it's never unjust of God to take a life. It can be unjust for us, obviously. And as you know, the the commandment says thou shalt not murder. It doesn't say thou shalt not kill. Mm -hmm. There is killing that's justified killing, just war, self-defense, these kind of things, Uh, capital punishment by a legitimate government. These can be just killings, Uh, but murder is never right for us. But God can't murder because God owns life and can Mm -hmm. resurrect it.
1: Do you think there's a good answer for when is war justifiable? Because we've kind of struggled with that question when people ask it to us. It's like, it's a bit of a hard question to Do answer. You, uh, mostly- yeah,
0: there actually is. And uh, I think it was uh, uh, Augustine in the 400s AD who came up with, his, with what is now known as just war theory. And if you look that up, you'll find that Augustine, using the scriptures and just natural theology, came up with a number of, of requirements for a just war i don't have them all memorized but a few of them might be it's a last resort it's intended to bring uh, peace back it's proportional uh you know you're not gonna drop a nuclear weapon on somebody who just shoots at you with a handgun right i yeah. mean you're, you're just trying to neutralize the force it's not used for offensive purposes it's used for defensive purposes these kind of things And uh, so Augustine went through that in great detail. And a great book, by the way, on many of these moral issues is a book by my co-author, Dr. Norman Geisler. And this is the book you want to get. This This book is called Christian Ethics, and it goes through many of these ethical issues like war, like abortion, homosexuality, Capital punishment, civil disobedience, sexuality, animal rights, even. It's all in this book. That's amazing. So that would be a good book to recommend to your listeners too. How many books do you have up there? <laughs> uh, many more than I've read. I just feel <laughs> smarter for being in here. I don't know how many I've got. but That's awesome. You know, you know. nowadays I get a lot of books on Kindle because then I can take like a whole library with me on a yeah. plane, yeah. right?
2: That's what yeah, Wolfgang Wolf am yeah, I'm, I'm reading your book on the Kindle right now. You
0: <laughs> mean... <laughs> Wolfgang, you haven't read it yet?
2: Well, I've read through about half of it, but... I, you,
0: you, you can't be saved unless you read the whole <laughs> okay. book. Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> Do I have to read both <laughs> or just one? Yeah,
3: both! You got okay, outline okay. too. That's right. <laughs> um, All right, next this. question
0: we
1: have here. John, you want to read that one? Uh,
3: heaven, uh, how can we be happy? Oh, uh, yeah, this is one of my personal questions. Uh, how can we be happy in heaven if our loved ones are burning in hell, or loved ones that we had?
0: That, yeah, that's... Uh, C.S. Lewis dealt with that, and he basically said that... Uh, Hell can't veto heaven. First of all, when you know that people are in hell, you also know, especially when you're in heaven, that they're there because they chose not to be in heaven, that they didn't want to accept what Christ had done. Mm -hmm. And secondly, the punishment meted out to them is proportional to their sin. God isn't going to punish the garden variety unbeliever at the same level of torment as, say, Hitler. That wouldn't be fair. In other words, you're going to know in heaven that justice is being done. And justice is a good thing. Nobody's going to say in heaven or hell, oh, I got a raw deal. Oh, I shouldn't be here. Oh, if I only knew. No. In fact, you know that – I know some people say it's not a parable because there's a real person named in it, but for lack of a better term. Is it Lazarus? In Luke, in your gospel there, Luke, Luke uh, chapter 16, where uh, Jesus tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Mm -hmm. right? Lazarus is uh, in – in Abraham's bosom, which is kind of like a, uh, a halfway house between here and heaven, kind of, Maybe you know, in the afterlife. And then, and then um, in Hades is the rich man. And notice the rich man in Hades isn't going, hey, I shouldn't be here. This is wrong. This is unjust. He's not saying that. What's he saying? Hey, you tell Lazarus to come down here and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Just and wants Lazarus, a drip of water. Yeah. Yeah, he's still he's still treating Lazarus like he's his he's his servant, right? And then um he says, Go tell my brothers about this, right? Go tell my warn them about this place. And Jesus says, They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe them, they're not even gonna believe if someone rises from the dead. That's powerful. And then Jesus does rise from the dead, and they yeah. still don't believe. In fact, Caiaphas, what does Caiaphas do after Jesus has risen Lazarus from the dead? He wants to kill both Jesus and Lazarus. <laughs> right? He knows that Jesus has risen Lazarus from the dead. Put that he has proof two... that this guy's the Messiah. And what does he want to do? Kill him. He wants to kill him. I mean, this is like the, the scary part <laughs> of the whole deal, right? Yep. He wants to kill. He wants to kill Jesus. Yeah. He says it's better that an innocent man die than the whole nation perish. Mm-hmm. See, his, he, he was going to be out of a job yeah. if Jesus succeeded.
2: Now, the Pharisees had a lot on line if Jesus was actually the Messiah. So. Yeah, and the way that I view hell is hell is just separation from God, and God is everything that's good. And so, therefore, it's like you are separating yourself from everything that has ever been and ever will be good. So you're kind of just sticking yourself in the worst place possible. This is something I've been dealing with, debating with myself: is like,
1: is heaven eternal in the sense that we're just eternally separated from God, or is it eternal torment? So, in the sense that you realize you're being tormented for eternity, or like you, or you just just at separation from God, and then nothing exists. What's kind of you your? You hell? On that?
0: Well, you know, there are some Christians now saying that that hell, after a brief period of punishment, it's annihilation. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think that. I think you can make a case for that. I just don't think it's the right case. I think that. You, you're conscious. You're conscious after uh, you you die and you stay that way, um, but it's proportional, and it is separation from God, and as you said, Wolfgang, it is, you're, you're separated from everything that is good, but there is a level of torment. Now, t- it's not torture. You always hear atheists saying, oh, God's going to torture people. No, it's not torture. It's torment. And torment is more internally afflicted, inflicted. It's not from the outside. It's from inside more, more than it is from the outside. I'm sure there is a certain amount of external punishment, but it's sort of like to use a, just a common uh, example. Say you get your, you get pulled over for speeding, right? And you knew that there was a cop there because usually cops are on this part of highway 70 there or wherever Mm -hmm. you guys are driving. Right. And you blow by it and the guy gives you a ticket and you're like, oh, man, I knew I should have slowed down there because that's where that cop normally sits. And you regret getting the ticket. Right. But you're not repentant. There's a difference between regret and repentant. You know, you the, the next day you'll be speeding again. Right. It's yeah. not like, oh, I'll never speed again. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. You're like, man, I'm, I'm upset. I got caught.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right? That That's
0: great. the difference between regret and repentance. People in, in hell have regret. They don't have repentance. They're like, oh, man. Wish there was another way, but there really isn't, you know?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. are you saying that you can almost like repent from hell in a way? Like if no, you, you, I don't there. think you can. No. And God is the one that knows when the final choice is made. Mm-hmm. In fact, Lewis puts it, you know, at some point, a final choice has to be made and God is the one who knows when that is. The people in hell are irredeemable they're unrepentant they'll never repent Mm -hmm. they are set against god look god wants all to be saved if he knew that somebody would come to faith if he lived a little longer he'd he'd keep that guy alive longer but he knows when people are going to what they're going to do before they do it yeah
1: would you recommend reading
0: all c.s lewis's books um uh I love C.S. Lewis's books. Uh, I, I'm trying to think if there's any ones that I'd say are no good. I had, you know, there's, there's a few I haven't read myself, but yeah, he did what's he certainly certainly Mere Christianity okay. um, is his best, in my view. Uh, his other books can be a little bit challenging. Of course, the most brilliant book is probably Screwtape Letters. Mm-hmm. But You really got to concentrate on Screwtape ta- screw Letters because everything's backwards, right? If you okay. read Screwtape letters. No, I haven't, no we that. haven't, but Oh, yeah, you, you got to read Screwtape letters. <laughs> Screwtape letters famous. basically is one senior demon talking to junior demons on how to tempt how to tempt human beings. Oh wow. Mm. And so the enemy above is God. Right. And okay. uh, our father below is Satan, right? Everything is reversed. So, oh, wow. Huh. He's really good at human psychology and how to tempt people. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. what Screwtape Letters is all about. Yeah, I'd highly recommend you get that, certainly. That's awesome. some, of the, some of his other books have great insights in them, but they can be challenging, like Problem of Pain mm-hmm. or Miracles. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then there's Narnia and yeah. all of that stuff, which is really cool to just see all the space change. corresponding to the Bible, mm-hmm.
2: which mm-hmm. is fun. Yeah, so uh, this is another one of Jonah's questions. Does God prefer quality of prayer or quantity of prayer?
0: <laughs> oh, gee. Well, I, I, I know he doesn't want repetition because mm-hmm. Jesus actually says, right, don't pray in the repetitive ways of the Pharisees who are just going through the motions.
1: What do you think that looks they're like? There to, repetitive. Yeah,
0: they're there to, uh, to look good before people. He says, go in your closet and pray.
1: Yeah, go and hide.
0: And, of course, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Mm -hmm. So you could just be going through your day and things happen and you just pray, right? That's what we ought to be in constant communication. It's not just kneeling down in the morning or at night or whenever you do it. It's also just having God in the forefront of your mind, Mm -hmm. having what Christ did in the forefront of your mind.
2: So it's pray as much as you can and as well as you can. I think just as honestly as you can too is all
0: he cares yeah. about. He doesn't care about how what words you use or anything. He refers to the quality yeah. of the quantity. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's one of the more difficult aspects of the Christian life because uh, especially today where we are so distracted by the glowing rectangle, <laughs> right, or I mean, that's really where we're getting the most of our information now, Yeah, that it can be very difficult to concentrate on anything. Mm. How, how fast does your mind wander when you start to pray, right? You start thinking of something and then before you know it, you're thinking about that thing rather than praying yeah. about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it can be really hard. One of the ways you can do it though is read the Psalms because the Psalms really are prayers. Yeah. And then there are some great books on prayer that can be helpful too.
3: And I mean, to go somewhere quiet and just distance yourself from everything yep. is like super important. Like Jesus did it himself. He went up to the the Garden of Olives and he did it like himself. It's like just to be alone with with That's him. That's right. Like, yeah. No distractions. When he fasted
0: leave like your phone days. somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Awesome. Should we just hop into some questions from the audience? Yeah, sure. So, Wolfgang, you want to read the first one?
2: We have uh, a couple of questions that people asked us. We posted on our Instagram story, and people decided that they wanted to give you a couple of questions. So, that someone uh, on TikTok said that you stated that um, the Bible does not say that the Sabbath is really commanded anymore. Um, is that true or? Said that before. out of the
0: 10 commandments nine of them are repeated in the new testament okay. there's only one that isn't and that's keep holy the sabbath why because okay. the sabbath represents rest and jesus is our rest in other words the sabbath has already arrived this is why paul in colossians 2 says don't let anyone tell you, you have to obey any sabbath or festival day the sabbath indicated something to come and what it indicated was jesus that jesus would come okay So, actually, the Sabbath, as you know, is Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown. Mm -hmm. A lot of Christians think, oh, the Sabbath is Sunday. No, it's not. (laughs) It never never was. It was, they just met on Sunday because that's the day he rose. Mm -hmm. No, the Sabbath is not binding on Christians anymore. In fact, this is something that I think is important uh, for all of us to understand, that everything from Exodus 20 through Deuteronomy, when it comes to law, that's Old Covenant. That's not New Covenant. And the writer of Hebrews says the Old Covenant is obsolete, Hebrews 8.13. We are not under the 613 laws of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. Now, I'm not saying those texts aren't important for us to know who God is and what his character is and the history. They are, but they're not binding. Like, you don't have to bring a lamb to the temple, right? There's no mm-hmm. temple anyway. Those were just symbols of the true lamb, Jesus, who would come.
3: Yeah, and we're allowed to <laughs> so, shave now. and
0: yeah. <laughs> So uh, if it's repeated in the New Testament, it is binding, and nine out of the ten are repeated. But the other laws, unless they're repeated in the New Testament, are just for Israel. Mm -hmm. And there are national laws, civil laws. In other words, there are ceremonial laws, like don't eat certain foods and all this. This is why, you know, when people try and mock the Bible by saying, oh, God, you know, said you can't eat pork right? Mm-hmm. But you say, but you could have slaves, right? Or something like this, right? Yeah. First of all, they don't understand what those old covenant laws were for, mm-hmm. and they don't even understand what slavery was in the Bible either, mm-hmm. okay? They think it's the kind of slavery we had 160 years ago here in America. It wasn't. It was indentured servitude. So mm-hmm. these things that, that, that skeptics bring up reflect a very uh, lack of knowledge about what they're really talking about, what they're objecting to.
1: Okay, before we go on to the next question, I just have a question on my own. How do you how did you get to the point where you just memorized where things are in scripture? Cause I'm trying to do that, but I, it's, it's a struggle. Is it just repetitive and just keep reading? Yeah, well, It
0: really depends on what kind of learner you are. Are you a visual learner or audio learner? Visual for sure. Visual? Yeah. You know, then maybe you could get some helps. There's some visual Bibles, you know, there's charts that you can get. The Rose book of charts is great. You know, mm-hmm. they've got, um, all sorts of charts and maps in it that can help you visualize things. That's cool. But a lot of it too is just being familiar Yeah. where things are. I, I think literally, like in my mind. So when I'm thinking of Genesis, I'm thinking, I'm thinking to my left. And when I think of revelation, I'm thinking to my right, you know, and I'm thinking of the books in order and where certain things are in those books. That's awesome. That's just the way I think, but not everybody thinks that way. Right. Some people are, Oh, they, they hear it, they got it. I'm more visual. I got to see it.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Let's hop into the next question here. Zoe Rump, Rump Rumpley? Zoe or
2: Zoe. But <laughs> what good. is a
1: besting sin? Besetting. Besetting sin.
2: How is idleness a sin? What scripture proves this? So that's kind of two separate questions. So she wants to talk about kind of like besetting sin, one. And two, she wants to talk about like sloth and uh, idleness as a sin. Besetting sin. What does she mean by that? <laughs> um, It's kind of like. I guess it's a concept in which like a person has kind of like a personalized sin that mostly attacks them. For instance, it all depends on the person like gambling or for oh, some people it could be lust. Okay. Pornography. So sure. like, it's just that one thing that people can't get over and it all is different for every single person.
0: Sure. Yeah, it could be, it could be like Paul saying, I have a thorn in the flesh and mm-hmm. I asked God to take it away from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all have things we struggle over. That's certainly true. And so what we do is we keep bringing it to the Lord. We keep meditating. We keep praying. We keep seeking accountability. uh, We keep studying. Uh, We may put boundaries around ourselves. Like one of the biggest problems, as you know, especially among young men, even older men now is pornography. Why? Again, this is the problem, right? Mm -hmm. You can get anything you want right here. And if that is a problem, And pornography does actually alter your brain chemistry. It can really ruin you Mm -hmm. for relationships in the future. If that's a problem, you got to do whatever you can to put a boundary around that.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Whether you get covenant eyes or some other filtering system, or you just get rid of the phone altogether.
1: Mm -hmm. If you guys are struggling with porn, go check out our episode on that. There's some really good resources on that.
0: Yeah. Now, what was the second part of that, though, Wolfgang? Um, Uh,
2: They want to talk about idleness and sloth
0: in the Bible and how... Yeah, well, that's certainly... (laughs) talked about quite a bit in Proverbs, (laughs) right? Uh, You know, a little rest, a little this, a little that, and before you know it, you're ruined, the proverb says. Uh, You can't be slothful. You have to be industrious. Mm -hmm. There are several proverbs about that. Uh, One of the most important proverbs, I think, though, in fact, I think it's probably the most important verse in the Bible right now, other than the gospel itself, and that is Proverbs 4.23, which says, above all else, guard your heart, because everything you do flows from it. Mm-hmm. Above all else, guard your heart. Now, our culture says it's the opposite. Above all else, follow your heart. Yeah, yeah. That's what the culture says. God's saying, no, guard your heart. Why? Because your heart, especially when you're young, Succeedful. is can be motivated by all the flux and change going on in your body and in your mind and as you're growing up. You know, you're you can get fixated on so many different things, especially when you're young, that if you go after that one thing and it's not good for you, it's against God's will and it's going to hurt you. That's a disaster. That's why he says above all else, guard your heart, Mm -hmm. stay focused on what's right and true. If you let distractions, if you let enticements, if you let all sorts of um, immoral things lure you away you are gonna ultimately pay for that in a big way. In fact, James, uh, who was the Lord's brother, wrote that little book in the New Testament called James. James, you guys are sharp. All right, um, he talked about being Lord and enticed uh-huh. because one of you know one of the problems with with deception is you don't know you're being deceived, right? Uh-huh. If you knew you were being deceived, you wouldn't be deceived, right? Deception means. You're deceived. You don't know what's happening, and that's what James says. When we're carried away by our own desires, we're lured and enticed and dragged away like a fish being dragged out of the water by a by a lure and a hook,
1: yeah.
0: or a an animal being lured into a trap. Mm-hmm. That's what we're. That's what's happening to us when we follow our hearts without any moral boundaries around it.
2: That's awesome, and I think sloth and idleness is kind of a, a tricky one, especially because it's the only sin that you can really commit with lack of action and not actually doing something, if that mm. makes sense. So, like mm. for instance, like every other sin, you have to do something in order to commit that sin. Sloth and idleness, Do nothing. Is, <laughs> yeah, you do nothing, and that's, that's in a sense do doing wrong. something. Yeah.
0: Well, it, it might be more of a sin of omission than commission.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But sins of omission, you can do sins of omission where you don't. Someone needs you and you ignore them, yeah. right? Somebody uh, is in danger and you ignore them. Uh, you decide that you're not going to deal with God at all today, so you're going to go your own way. You ignore them. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not really doing anything positively. You're just not doing what you know you should do. So yeah. there may be several building. examples of that. And uh, sins of omission are just as culpable or make the person just as culpable as sins of commission. Mm-hmm.
2: Nice.
1: All right, next question, John.
3: If we are saved by grace through faith alone, where does repentance come in? Is it through faith? If our salvation is not work-based, is repentance God-given?
0: Is repentance God-given? Of course, the five-point Calvinists are going to say yes, and I'm going to say no. (laughs) I'm going to say that no, you, after the Holy Spirit does come to you and comes to all people, you either have to accept that Spirit or grieve the Spirit. And it implies you have free will if you can grieve the spirit. And obviously in the book of Acts, Anna and Sapphira did grieve the spirit talks about that. So you have to have the ability to say no. Uh, and I think people can say no to the Holy spirit, but if you do say yes, and you do repent, which means you're turning away from your old ways and saying, I'm sorry for what I've done. And now I'm going to go in a different direction. I don't think that's a work. That's just a change of mind.
1: hmm mm-hmm.
0: And once you have that change of mind and accept what Christ has done, then you're saved. Remember, Jesus said that he came to earth to call people to repentance. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: In fact, that's one of the most distinctive statements he made in addition to the statement when he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm -hmm. A ransom. He came to pay the ransom that was necessary to get us off the hook for our sin. Since God is infinitely just, He has to punish us. Otherwise, He's not infinitely just. So, what does He do instead? He punishes Himself in our place,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? And he, that's the, that's how He can remain just and still justify sinners. Mm-hmm. That verse in uh, in uh, Romans three Romans three twenty six is the verse that really answers the question: Why is Jesus the only way? Because He says God is the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, He remains just. He's still punishing sin. He's just not punishing the sinner. He's Mm -hmm. punishing Jesus in our place. So he remains just because Jesus voluntarily agreed to take the punishment on himself. And he justifies those who are sinners. All of us.
2: That's really cool. So we actually, we skipped over one question. Um, And this one says, uh, if you know someone who is older than you or like an elder, for instance, that's actively sinning, like how would you go about that without being disrespectful or like tearing them apart entirely.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I think Matthew 18 has the has the formula for that, where he says if somebody has wronged you, you go to them privately, one-on-one. And then if they don't hear what you have to say, you bring somebody else. Uh, maybe somebody older than them would be nice. Uh, and then if they still don't hear, then you bring them before the whole church and administer church discipline. Mm-hmm. But church discipline is a means of showing love, actually, Mm -hmm. because you're trying to correct somebody who's going down the wrong road. In fact, Paul, there's only one person not welcome in a church. It's someone who claims to be a Christian and yet is in sin and claiming that that sin isn't really wrong. Mm -hmm. Where do I get that from? That's 1 Corinthians 5 when Paul said there's a guy in the church in Corinth who's sleeping with his father's wife, and he thinks it's just fine. So what does Paul say? Expel the immoral brother from you. Get him out. In the hopes he'll come back though, right? In hopes he'll he'll repent. Mm-hmm. He'll realize the seriousness of what he's done and come back. And if you read sort of between the lines in 2 Corinthians, that's that's what appears to be what happened. He did come back.
1: Yeah, let's teach him a lesson, I think is what the word he used. Yeah, exactly. That's what he says, Luke. Yeah. You're right. Just yeah. Teach
0: him a lesson. In fact, discipline comes from the word disciple. Discipline means you're trying to knock them back on course because they've gotten all cor- off course.
1: That's really cool. I've never heard
0: of that. That's sweet. Yeah, so your your you're, punishment is different. Punishment is based in justice. Discipline is based in in discipleship. You're, you're, in other words, you're 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 trying to you're trying to correct what they're doing for their own benefit.
1: So speaking on that, correcting on what people are doing, do you ever feel like? debating is really helping the person you're debating or are you more doing it so other people can hear the debate and kind of choose the side they want to follow? Yeah. Most
0: of it's B. Like when you're going for a debate, you're really not going to convince the other person he or she is too invested in their position. You're Mm -hmm. there for the people in the middle. Mm -hmm. I'm there to try and and encourage the Christians and put a stone in the shoe of the skeptics, Mm -hmm. so to speak. That's cool. Get them to go, Oh, I hadn't thought of that argument. Oh, maybe I ought to start thinking about that. Right. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: That's awesome. One thing I find interesting about the whole throwing them out of the church was at the time when Jesus came down, um, there was no church. Um, The church is just defined as the body of Christ. So it kind of, Jesus says, throw them technically out of the entire body of Christ, which is something that Yeah, hand them over to Satan and then hope he comes Mm -hmm. back. That sentence, once you think of it that way, feels like it has more weight to it. It does, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not just out of the building, but out of out of the Yeah,
1: army. at that point it
0: really wasn't a building. Mm-hmm. Church meant assembly of believers. Yeah. They they were meeting in houses. Yeah. Right? Throw them out of the house. <laughs> throw throw them out of fellowship basically. Yeah. yeah. Because number one, that could pollute other people in the church in the fellowship and number two, you're trying to bring that person back to sanity. Mm-hmm.
1: So a question I have is do you still have anything you doubt or question about God or is it
0: pretty much? Have you oh yeah. Of, okay.
1: Well, yeah.
0: People always have doubts and questions. Yeah. Let's go back to the first question. We didn't completely oh, get into that because it's too long. The question on evil, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like why does God allow evil? Well, the short answer is he allows free will. Secondly, evil doesn't disprove God. It actually shows God does exist because there'd be no such thing as evil unless there was good. And there'd be no such thing as good unless God existed. So evil may prove there's a devil out there, but it can't disprove God because evil itself requires good to exist and good requires God to exist in an objective way anyway. Mm-hmm. And I unpack this in in the presentation that I do before college campuses. So if people want more, they can go to the, yeah. to the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. But one insight that really helped me dealing with this problem of evil and and if it hasn't bothered you you probably haven't thought about it enough uh but like you know when you see something that you go i I can't see any good coming from this and it doesn't even appear to have anything to do with free will right Mm -hmm. you know like why does a tsunami hit thailand or why does a a baby die you know you go whole church is praying baby still dies Mm -hmm. does that make any sense yeah Well, there's something known as the ripple effect, and the ripple effect points out that every event that occurs ripples forward to influence trillions of other events. And just because uh, we can't see any good coming from a particular event doesn't mean that there isn't good coming from it, even way far in the future. For example, maybe a baby dying right now causes a series of ripples to actually, uh, eventually, bring forth a great evangelist five hundred years from now who saves millions of people, right? Yeah. We can't yeah. see how all those ripples work in in our lifetime. I
1: mm-hmm. mean, like for instance, me and Jonah wouldn't be here unless Hitler existed. I think because our grandma had to flee, <laughs> and like it's just crazy oh, really? to think about, yeah. Like how mm-hmm. she was, uh, she was in the Czech Republic and she had to. Flee. and well, that's how she met our grandfather so like we wouldn't technically be here if that didn't happen that's true that's a good insight
0: luke in fact yeah. you can think of all the ripples in your life like obviously your parents had to meet their parents had to meet their parents had to meet their parents had, think about all the ripples that had to take place yeah for us to even be here right now so in other words the ripple effect allows me to realize that i can trust god because although i can't see any good coming from it an infinite being can mm-hmm. and and in in the in the Old Testament, you can even see the well. You can see the ripple effect everywhere. But there's a great example in the Old Testament. You remember when uh, Joseph in the Old Testament is sold into slavery by his brothers?
1: Yeah, a few pieces of silver. And you know the
0: whole story. He winds up in a period of uh, a, an area of prominence in uh, Egypt, and he puts a bunch of grain aside. And then his family, who sold him into slavery, they leave Israel to escape the famine. And as soon as Joseph recognizes them in Egypt, mm-hmm. what does he say to him? You dirty rats, you're going to pay for what you did to me. No. What does he say? He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, the saving of many lives. Yeah. In other words, the evil that the brothers of Joseph did to Joseph actually rippled forward to help them later. Mm-hmm. They do evil here, and later it helps them. Yeah.
1: I mean, the it's entire the entire Bible is a ripple effect to Jesus. Yep. It's like, mm-hmm. I was just studying the book of Isaiah, all these bad things happening, but then... There's that promise of Jesus coming back and like that stump, that seed that's still there that leads to Jesus, which is yeah. It's really cool. It's exactly. The Bible in in that fact, way.
0: the 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 wor- one of the worst things in the history of the world was Jesus being crucified, an innocent man, right? Mm-hmm. Think about all the great ripples that came from that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's crazy to think about. One one thing
2: that I look at is kind of like when I've been praying for things now, I instead of being like, "Can you please make this happen?" I say, "I want whatever will be best for
0: for your will.
2: Yeah, to your happen. will be done. Yeah. So that way it's kind of like if it happens, it's, I know it's in God's hands and it's happening for a good reason.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good, Wolfgang. In fact, that was Jesus' prayer, not my will, but your will. I'd yeah. rather not go through the crucifixion, Lord. Can we get, can we avoid that? No? Okay. <laughs> Yo, can we get another sun down here or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Can't we just go through the Krispy Kreme drive route, drive through and call it a day? I mean, come on, <laughs> man.
3: How do you uh, discern? um, like what is literally true in the Bible and what is metaphorically true in the Bible?
0: Yeah. Excellent question. That's a case by case basis. In fact, we have a, uh, we're teaching a class right now online called how to interpret your Bible. That's and awesome. I have this little acronym that I use whenever I read the Bible. It's an acronym. I just happen to think up because I think it's important to, to research it and, and, and know what it's really saying. And the acronym is STOP S T O P. Whenever you come to a passage, you ought to stop. The S stands for what's the situation? Like, what's going on here? What's happening in this passage? I just can't read a verse. I got to read all around it to figure out what's going on, right? The T stands for what type of literature is it? Is this just straight historical prose? Is it law? Is it poetry? Is it is it prophecy? Is it, uh, is it apocalyptic literature, like the book of Revelation? Mm-hmm. Because all of, uh, or depending on how what type of literature it is, it's going to cause you to interpret it differently, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to interpret a poem differently than you're going to interpret law.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. The, uh, the O stands for, who's the object of the passage? Is the object ancient Israel? Is the object someone in Corinth? Is the object... Me, us. <laughs> yeah. Who's the object? Right. And the P stands, is this for, is this prescriptive or descriptive? Because a lot of people think if it's in the Bible, that means God, God approves it. No, there's a lot of stuff that's just descriptive. Like David committed adultery with Bathsheba. That doesn't mean it's not prescriptive. He's not saying, okay, you got to go find your own Bathsheba out there. You got to know he, he's just telling the truth warts and all and it's just a description, not a prescription. So when you're looking at a passage and you're, you are you go to the T and stop, what type of literature is it? Um, if Jesus is, t- is telling, or, or let's say we're in the Psalms, and it says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the earth. Is that supposed to be literal? Does God really have eyes that are going to and fro? Or is that really just a metaphorical way of saying that God sees everything, that it's God omission. knows everything, yeah. right? Yeah. So you, you have to take it on a case-by-case basis to really figure it out. Um, the strong arm of the Lord, what does that mean? It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't mean he has, well, he's got a one strong arm, and then he's got a weak arm, you know, yeah. and he doesn't know he doesn't have arms, or I'm seated, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Does that mean that god is to jesus's left in heaven no this is just a metaphorical way of saying that god that jesus is 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 with god he's 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 approved by god in fact he is god
1: yeah that's awesome how,
0: how right. do you describe the trinity to somebody usually you typically say i'm out of time <laughs> <laughs> I think there's no uh, perfect illustration of the Trinity, but we usually use a triangle. And if you go to our website, go to our YouTube channel, just look up anything on the Trinity, you'll see I use this triangle to show that God is one triangle, but there are three corners to the triangle, right? Mm -hmm. So God has a divine essence, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit share the divine essence. However, Jesus has—there's a circle attached to one corner of the triangle— and Jesus not only has a divine nature that he shares with the Father and the Holy Spirit, he also has a human nature. And that human nature doesn't intermingle with the divine nature. This is why when you get a question about Jesus, you always have to ask two questions, right? Uh, because people will say, well, how could Jesus be God if he didn't know when he was coming back? Doesn't God know all things? And how does Jesus he doesn't know all things. He doesn't know when he's coming back, so he can't be God. What they're forgetting is, is that Jesus has both a divine nature and a human nature. So whenever you ask a question about Jesus, you have to ask two questions. Did Jesus know all things? As God, the part of the triangle, yes. As man, the circle attached to the corner of the triangle, no. Did Jesus get hungry? As God, no. As man, yes.
1: That's all. Yeah, that's a great
0: example. Right. So... The Trinity, for me, actually solves a lot of problems. It doesn't create them. Okay. Why? Because, like, for example, how could you have love if God was purely monotheistic, if there was no plurality in the Godhead? There's no one to love before creation. But in the Trinity, God is perfect love. There's a lover, a loved one, and a spirit of love. And wow. and our relationships are modeled after the Trinity. Marriage is modeled after the Trinity. That's awesome. That's really okay. cool. So the Trinity and and lewis famously put something like this he said this may seem i'm paraphrasing but he said this may seem complicated and not simple but we can't compete with people who are making up religions right mm-hmm. like the muslims will say well just god is just just one he is he is uh, he's purely monotheistic there's no partners with god there's no plurality in god well lewis would say well you you could say that that's just invented. The truth is, is that there is a plurality in the Godhead, even though there's only one God. Mm-hmm. That's awesome.
1: To, to end us off here, I think we should just ask, what's what's your biggest advice for, I think, the younger generation?
0: If you had to say one thing to... Um, guard your heart, like guard we talked heart. earlier. Yeah. Guard your heart, because our culture is telling you to follow our, follow your heart. And your heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it, said Jeremiah. Your heart will lead you astray. In other words, your heart's going to take you into places you don't want to go ultimately. It may seem good in the beginning, but long-term, it's a disaster. Okay. If you want to get true contentment, you have to go straight through truth, and Jesus is the truth. In fact, the podcast we just did yesterday called It's It's Biology, Not Bigotry. Uh, listen to that because it has to do with the transgender craze that's really affecting more young girls, than, and it's scary what's going on. Mm-hmm. There are... There are Young people 13, 15, having mastectomies, getting irreversible hormone treatment without even their parents knowing about it.
2: Yeah.
0: And, and they can't even drive yet or vote and they can do that. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy what's going on. And and much of it comes through social media. There's been an explosion of this since social media came out. Mm-hmm. Young people are 100%. getting their cues from social media than, they're, than they are from Jesus or their parents, even. They're getting it from what equally pain e, are people in, in the same position they are, young and trying to figure out what life is about. They're getting all their cues from them, and it's the blind leading the blind, right? Yeah. When you're that young, you don't have enough maturity or enough experience to know what the right thing is. That's awesome. And yet... People are following one another right off the cliff. Unfortunately,
1: well, if you guys want to get some uh, wisdom and good, I guess, knowledge to keep guard your heart, go go check out Frank's YouTube channel. There's plenty of amazing stuff there to answer your questions. Um, you have you have a
0: podcast. It's called. Um, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist yeah. Yeah, You can get it a where we get book. podcasts. We have an app too, Cross Examined app. Two words in the app store has a quick answer section on there. Oh, awesome! Has the podcast. Has also a the TV show which is on once a week. Uh, out out where you are, It'd be seven p.m. on Wednesday nights. Oh wow, that's awesome! It's streamed on our website, but it's also on Roku. It's on DirecTV channel three seventy eight. Um. Perfect. So check it out. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah.
3: Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. Yeah. Super. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you for having the show to your peers because it's really important. Keep doing what you're doing and maybe we'll do this again at some point. Maybe someday I'll come out to Aspen if you guys invite me. I'd love love to. Let's do it. (laughs) Come on. Do you ski at all? I, you know, the last time I skied was about 10 years ago, but uh, I I, I like it. I've been to Breckenridge, Vale, Copper, Mm -hmm. uh, Keystone. Okay. It's in your area. So just everywhere but Aspen, basically. (laughs) I haven't been to Aspen yet, man. Nobody's invited me. Okay.
3: (laughs) This is uh, us formally inviting you to Aspen. All
0: right. There you go. We'll
1: keep in touch then. And yeah, if you could just send us that video over Dropbox or whatever, um, that'd be awesome. And then we'll- The video? Yeah, that you recorded on there.
0: Oh, I was recording the audio, man. Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. Aren't you recording this? We we are. Our faces. Our
2: our faces, but we thought that you were going to do yours, but-
0: Oh no, man, I thought you meant the audio Oh, it's all good (laughs) You're not recording my face on this? Jesus is a friend of mine Jesus is my friend Jesus
3: is a friend of mine I have a friend in Jesus Jesus is a friend of mine Jesus is my friend Jesus is a friend of mine He taught me how to live my life as it should be He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me
0: I've had friends before, and I can tell you that He's one who will never leave you flat.